Well, welcome back, everyone. It's good to have you here. My friends, I want to assure you that we have done everything possible, uh, from sanitizing the pews, to the carpeting, the sanctuary, the narthex, the restrooms. And as I joked about last week, the only thing I didn't sanitize was a parking lot. But we've done everything and all the measures that are necessary are in place. My friends, when it comes to our scriptures, you know we have three readings on Sundays, an Old Testament, a New Testament, which is also known as Epistle, and a Gospel. And oftentimes, the second reading, the Epistle, the New Testament reading, seems to be out of sync with the first reading and the Gospel. And uh, it somewhat is, but uh, what St. Paul is getting at is that humanity, uh, Adam represents us, and he does so with his son. And it is by that, when we hear that reading, by grace that this happens. It is by grace that you are saved. It is the work of Jesus Christ that saves us. Now, uh, in accord with that, we, there is an expectation about us. And that expectation is actually found in the first reading and in the gospel. About fidelity and faith and testifying on behalf of Jesus Christ to the world. That is our response to so great a gift. But the saving grace comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And friends, uh, our first reading in our gospel share a theme uh, that we are not to be overcome by fear, uh, that we are to continue on the mission no matter what, and uh, that uh, in all things God is present to us. Our Lord exhorts, uh, exhorts his uh, disciples to fearless witnessing and to his teachings, assuring them of God's care in all their trials. The first reading from the book of Jeremiah um, is really remarkable. You have to read the whole chapter to really understand. I wanted to focus a little bit on Jeremiah today. Um, this prophet had amazing faith and endurance in the midst of preaching a very unpopular message to his people, which would have been in Jerusalem. Um, and that message um, was very unpopular then, and that same message it would be unpopular now should Father Mark go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and to use uh, what Jeremiah is saying. The message um, was that because of the people's infidelity to each other, no, to God, and I'll get more deeper into what that was, um, that God would no longer protect them. And in this case, meaning in what we're reading in Jeremiah, uh, they were about to enter into battle. So uh, what uh, the prophet is saying is God is not going to protect you in this battle uh, because you have been unfaithful to him and his ways. And Jeremiah would go on further to say their only hope would be a total act of trust in God's mercy. How would they show this? By putting down their weapons and making peace with their enemies. Now do you see why the people wanted to kill him? Including the government of his time, the, gover the governor of Jerusalem wanted him dead. Because they said he was degrading the morality of his soldiers by telling him, put down your weapons and go and talk with your enemies. <laughs> um, I don't know, I find that funny. I don't think I probably would have found it funny in that day. Uh, nor would I find it funny if I went to Washington, D.C. and told <laughs> all the elected officials to do the same thing. Oh, but calling them out on their behavior, um, yeah, that would probably get me in big trouble too down there. But 
Jeremiah would go further and he would say, you must, telling to the people of God, you must amend your ways. You must stop the wicked ways. Um, you must deal justly uh, with, uh, with your neighbor. And uh, uh, you can no longer shed innocent blood. And you have to stop following strange ways, meaning uh, idolatries of any type. Uh, he said, if you would do this, then God, and they referred to God back then as Yahweh, uh, Yahweh will remain with you. And uh, as I said, I think we can understand why the people of, the, of Jeremiah's time and the government of his time persecuted him so violently. Um, it was a very difficult message to be delivered. Uh, we could also understand why Jeremiah was afraid. It's this other part uh, that has fascinated me always because Jeremiah became very, very angry. He became very angry at God, not at the people of Jerusalem. And uh, Jeremiah was having a personal battle with God who had given him such a terrible mission, such a terrible life, such a terrible task to do. It's an amazing account of Jeremiah's feelings about this unpopular mission of his and his deep anger at times against God who had sent him while he was still young. He was only, according to the scriptures, he was only like 15 or 16 years old. And God told him, you go and do this for me. Deliver this message. And that message would only bring him ridicule and rejection and assault on every level, from every side. And eventually, if, as you continue to read the story, you will find that even Jeremiah's relatives uh, began to plot his own destruction. And Jeremiah felt that God had made a fool of him by giving him this wretched mission. It got to the point where Jeremiah refused to speak Yahweh's name, refused to speak the message, and what did God do? God burned it into his heart, meaning uh, it became so strong that he couldn't physically keep his mouth shut anymore about it. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> There's many things God could have done to Jeremiah, but this is what he does. He fortifies him and makes him stronger. In wrestling with God, Jeremiah eventually comes to a great moment of faith and of testimony, but it only happens uh, when he realizes that God is with him, like a mighty champion is what Jeremiah says. And uh, so, my friends, I look at the reading, and I would say, go and read the whole chapter. And um, did God respond positively to Jeremiah's suffering and to his really valiant efforts to hold on to the faith and to do what God asked? No, it appears not. <laughs> it appears not. Um, because as you go deeper into the reading, there is another occasion after Jeremiah has been complaining again to God uh, that Yahweh says to him, and I quote, If running against man has wearied you, how will you race against horses? Jeremiah 12, 5. I will explain what that means. God is telling him, stop complaining now because it is going to get worse. Not better. And indeed, it would get worse. It got so bad that Jeremiah bitterly cursed the day that he was born. 
Jeremiah 20, 14. How do we make sense then of this story of Jeremiah and God? It gets lost because we see Jeremiah dealing with a nation. It gets lost and there's Jeremiah dealing with God. And each one of you have a personal relationship with, with God in your relationship. Jeremiah's story is an account about a prophet with a mission and how he suffered because of that mission and how in his despairing moments he directed fury at God and how also at other times he was fully aware that the Lord God was at his side the whole time like a mighty warrior. It's a story of a real relationship. It's a story of an intimate relationship between a human person and God. Those of you who enjoy close relationships with someone else understand husbands and wives, mom and dads, children, understand uh, that it is in those we love the most that uh, have the capacity to stir up the deepest kind of anger within us because it is them, they, who it seems can disappoint us and hurt us the most. Jeremiah loved God and expected something different from him. And because of that, he was very angry, more angry at God than he was at the very persecutors that were after him. If we have a loving relationship with the Lord, there, there will be moments of such amazing grace, but there will also be moments of angry feelings. But the story of Jeremiah and even in the gospel, that is no reason to give up on the mission given by God. It is no reason to try and avoid the task. It is not a valid reason to not testify on behalf of God and his love. If we come to trust in all things, all things in our God, fear will not overtake us. Jesus tells the disciples on many, many occasions to not be afraid, do not fear. Jesus tells us that God will be with us always and that he will help each one of us. He will help the church in being true to the mission that he has given to each one of us and to the church. Difficulties will come, but God will always be there. And my friends, the fact that um, in the gospel, Jesus refers to uh, some sparrows that fall, that die. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, God does not prevent the fall of those sparrows does not mean that he is indifferent to them. God is never indifferent to the fate of his creation. Jesus puts forth then, and God is concerned even about sparrows, we can be assured that he is concerned about you who are made in his very image. Sparrows are not. He created them, and they look like birds. Yet, we have no guarantee in this world that nothing bad will ever happen to us. That is not what the scriptures tell us. As a matter of fact, they tell us just the opposite. However, our Christian faith causes us to believe that even should these things come, does God love us? Even should death 
come for us. God will take care of us. Psalm 91. Our Christian faith is not a type of religion that offers an illusion that everything is wonderful in this world. It does the opposite. And that's why I've told you oftentimes um, that we, the Christian faith is not for those uh, who are too soft or looking for something too easy. Christianity requires great courage every day. Christianity tells us when we read the stories uh, that life here has many risks and insecurities, and yet we have a sure and constant joy and peace because of our God. And friends, if we believe this, we will never let fear overcome us. We will never let fear paralyze us. You will have fear. But Jesus says, not the type that paralyzes you and prevents you from doing things. Just as God supported Jesus in every adversity, just look at our Lord's life. God the Father was with him in all things, in every adversity, and ultimately, when the cross came, and that happened to him, the Father raised him triumphantly from the dead. So God will be with each one of you in your trials. And if you remain faithful, he will also raise up to eternal life you. That is why we always have courage. That is why we always have hope. This is the knowledge that brings it. Every Christian then must maintain a positive attitude to prove their fidelity to God, to walk in holiness, and um, to testify to God's love and kindness. To live a Christian life requires great courage. What is needed uh, is not so much heroism now. What is needed today is just ordinary, everyday courage by Christians. That's what's needed. That would be a good way to testify on behalf of God. Fear and courage are not mutually exclusive either. They can and do coexist. I know because I feel both of them. <laughs> Often. However, courage is not never being afraid. It is being afraid and still doing what must be done. That is true courage. May the Lord give you great courage so that you may witness and testify to him in all things. And my friends, what this world needs so much now is for you to witness to his peace and to his love and to his ways the infidelity that Jeremiah was referring to was the people stopped following God in his ways, following his peace, following his love, following his justice. And because of that, things got crazy. Jesus would come into this world and do the same thing and tell us the same thing. And if the people of this world would follow God's ways, 
even if they are not Jesus followers, if they would just follow God's ways, the hatred and the racism and the murder and the violence that this world sees every day would begin to subside. If they would become faithful to God, we would see great change. My friends, I am happy that you're here. We have worked very hard uh, to uh, maneuver and to navigate all the requirements by the government, locally, and by Archbishop also. Am I happy about everything? No. But I will do whatever it takes to ensure that you may come into this house of worship and worship. Many people have come in today's terms at me <laughs> about everything. I will do what the Archbishop says. I will follow every guideline properly. I don't want to hear about what the parish in Bellingham is doing. I don't want to hear what the parish in Tacoma is doing. I don't want to hear what Bremerton's doing. We all have the same rules and guidelines. They are each their own pastors. They will do what is necessary for their people. But please don't come at me with that. I am doing everything that is necessary here to ensure that you can come into this place and worship God. I will continue to do whatever it takes, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not. And all of you, for your generosity, we are at $131,000 raised of the 189,000 needed. We'll continue asking people to give as they can. Uh, the folks of the parish have also been very great. Whatever is necessary. And so uh, there is no collection at collection time anymore. We have uh, baskets at the door. You can put your tithing in there. Uh, communion. Only the priest receives communion, but you have to receive the liturgy of the Eucharist now. Um, all of you will, will receive the Eucharist, but you have to receive it after Mass. And so um, what will happen is I'll tell you, go in peace. And for those who wish to receive the Eucharist, you remain to come to me and uh, uh, to receive the Eucharist. Uh, when you're coming up to receive the Eucharist, you're comfortable and you know, trying to hold the Eucharist and stick it in your mouth at the same time. Uh, there, are, there is a parish that can go to that parish. That's just the way it is. If you don't think it makes sense, okay. Just don't come at me <laughs> with it. I'm going to follow the rules. I don't make them. I just abide by them. To get to, uh, please continue to make reservations for Mass. We'll have to continue that until we get to 100% capacity again, which uh, we pray for a vaccine. I know there are many things going on in our world and in our country. Give God the glory. <laughs> um, and I do not understand that when, when the scandal of priests broke in the church and there were several priests, groups of priests who had done wicked things and molested children and harmed people are wicked. And you know that's not true. But we had to do what was necessary to rid ourselves of those priests who has done something. That is not all police officers. 
I expect our people to act in the way that Jesus is wanting and to treat our law, and particular right now, our police officers. Dan's, um, yes, there are things that have to be addressed. Justice has to be served. We have to address racism. We have to address violence and those who abuse their power. But to say that all police officers, all of them, are wicked and should be treated, no. That is not, that is not true. And that is certainly not a Christian approach to it. And so let us show respect and dignity to the police officers uh, as we encounter them. And when sisters or offer their love to someone as a father, thank you for the gift of fathers and fatherhood. Give these men the grace to protect us, provide for us, counsel us, and guide us. Our dads, stand in your place here on earth, O oh God, until the day we meet you face to face. Protect our fathers, guide them, and be a father to them. Console them. Renew their faith, hope, and courage. Peace in their souls. May they now know and enjoy the love of their families and friends this day as well. St. Joseph, husband of Mary, pray for our fathers and give them your strength and mission of leading their families to heaven. We ask this through Christ our Lord and to the men of the parish. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs>